0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network.
2: And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We are rounding down to the end of our spring recaps, showcases, previews, all that stuff kind of wrapped into one. The spring reports from around the Pac-12, we only have two schools left. And we're going to talk to one of those today, Washington State. We're going to get into that in a minute. But if you have any questions or comments, our email address is pack12podcast at gmail.com. Or you can call or text 424 532 0678. Of course, our Twitter account, we like to tweet at you guys. You guys like tweeting at us at pack12podcast and our website where you can find all of our content, pack12podcast.com. If you're over on iTunes or any of your podcasting apps, please, uh, Send us, some, send us some feedback on there, positive review, five-star rating. All that stuff uh, really helps. And, David, I'm excited today. Who had the best record in the conference? We're going to talk all about Washington State Cougars. <laughs> I got that in early because I keep forgetting to do the, the the sound. So we got it in.
0: Very cool. Yeah, we're talking to Braden Johnson, uh, Washington's, covering Washington State for dot com. You can find Braden on Twitter at Braden J underscore 21. Braden, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, David. How about yourself? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's uh, great to have you on. Uh, This is our first time talking to Braden. He's been covering um, all spring ball for Washington State. They're deep in it at this point. Um, I think a lot of people, I mean, probably the number one question right off the bat is uh, the quarterback situation at Washington State. Obviously, having to replace Gardner Minshew came in and lit the world on fire in, uh, his one year, um, on the Palouse, uh, who, who's, who's kind of in that competition right now? Who do you think leads it right now? And, uh, how close are they to making kind of the final decision?
1: Well, knowing Mike Leach, he's going to keep his cards as close to the table as he possibly can throughout spring and fall camp. He did go out and acquire his second graduate transfer quarterback in as many years, Gage Gooprood, who started, 33 games over two and a half years for Eastern Washington, racked up um, 9,984 passing yards over his career. Pretty dynamic player, even at the subdivision one level, two-time All-American. Presumably when Leach made that move, it seemed to indicate that he was prepared to go the graduate transfer route for the second straight year. However, a wrench was thrown into that, uh, right at the beginning of March, during midnight maneuvers, uh, Coach Leach's patented two-week winter conditioning circuit, Gubrud broke his ankle. Multiple sources confirmed to CFC. Um, toward the end of that two-week cycle, uh, smacked his ankle on a hurdle, went down. It was a nasty sight, and he was expected to miss all of spring ball. He's back. He's out of his walking boot now, and he's practicing in full with. The team. He's not participating in any contact drills, but he's going through skeleton drills and throwing receivers and whatnot. So he was presumed to be the front runner, but his absence this spring has opened up an opportunity yet again for fifth year seniors, Anthony Gordon and Trey Tinsley, to lay claim to the job. Gordon's made tremendous improvements from last season. His completion percentage is up and score grabs. He's got more arm strength, it looks like now. Said he spent more time in film room trying to get more decisive with his reads. So he's looked good as well. And then you can't forget about Tinsley. He was the most accurate quarterback Washington State had during spring ball in 2018. And, of course, before Gardner Minshew arrived. So Coach Leach has three definitive options that he've set, he's set. are Head and shoulders above the other quarterbacks in this quarterback room, but at this point, with Goode still returning to full health and Tinsley and Gordon not necessarily separating themselves from one another, we're still probably not going to know who's going to be Washington State's starting quarterback until we get into game week, week
2: one against New Mexico State. What about uh, Gunner Cruz? He's enrolled early, correct? How how's he look so far?
1: Gunner did well. He got his first chance to throw with a first string offense during scored reps uh, during, in WCU's fifth spring practice on March 30th, so about a couple weeks ago. And you know, he was decisive with his reads, 12 for 19 on his passes. Didn't take a lot of risks deep, but Leach kept the playbook pretty conservative with him pretty vocal under center for a 17 year old kid it drew the approval of leach and outside receivers coach steve Spurrier. afterward the kid's already six five and 225 pounds and from by all accounts tore it up in the weight room when he got to school in january and did really well during midnight maneuvers and other training sessions so leach has the luxury of bringing along him and developing him gradually given that there's two fifth-year seniors and a graduate transfer on the roster but I would say it's it's safe to say that Cruz is probably going to battle uh, second year freshman Gunner or excuse me Cam and Cooper for that vacant starting job in 2020 because Gordon Tinsley and Cooper will all be graduated and Washington State's going to need a new starting quarterback for the third straight year again. But Gunner's looked well uh, two thirds of the way through spring ball.
2: Are you, real quick, David, sorry, are you surprised that that Cooper hasn't been involved more? I mean, he was a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school.
1: Yes and no. I mean, Leach is never going to promise anyone a job. He's anytime you talk to him up here in Pullman, he's going to pull that card. He's going to make sure that guys know at any position that your spot's going to have to be earned. And if there's guys in front of you on the depth chart, then you're going to have to prove in practice and then and then in game situations too when you get an opportunity that you're ahead of whoever it is that you're competing with. The Cooper, between Cam and Cooper, John Bledsoe and Gunnar Cruz, the trio of third string and scout team quarterbacks that Washington State has healthy this spring. Cooper has received the most snaps with the first and second string offense, so he's getting an opportunity to potentially work his way into that rotation and make this a four-man race to be the starting quarterback, but he's still got some learning to do. It's clear when you watch him pass, he's he's got the best arm of any quarterback Washington State has. He can hit 40-yard posts and out routes that Extend to the second level and the secondary on a dime. A lot of velocity on a spiral, but I think the biggest thing for Kamen right now is he's still learning the playbook and how to apply it quickly in a practice or a game situation. A lot of times when his first or second read breaks down, he might compartmentalize inside the pocket, You know, stay static with his footwork, try and force the ball into a tight window, or, or just have his pass fall incomplete. You know, he's, he's, get, he's getting opportunities, but Leach said before the spring season even started, we've got two fifth-year seniors who he said came up at eyelash short uh, verbatim there of, of Gardner Minshew, and we're going to pump the majority of the reps into those two and then gauge when he's healthy as well. But if Cameron's patient, and I hope he's patient for the sake of that program he's going to have the opportunity here in 2020 it looks like to compete with Gunner to be a three-year starter at Washington State and judging from his body language he's still fully bought in he's clapping his hands during practice running around at full speed talking with teammates so I think his head's on straight straight still but again that's that's up for Cameron to decide where he's at and if he feels like he's been given a fair shot to win the starting job Sticking with the offense for a
0: bit, um, Jameer Calvin uh, suffered a leg injury in spring. He was, I mean, he, he was a guy who had almost 500 yards receiving last year. Was expected to, I mean, probably still is expected to be um, a key cog for the offense this year. How has that adjusted things? What's the timeline on his recovery? Uh, can you shed any insight on that?
1: Yeah, so when Calvin went down, it stretched Washington State's inside receiver depth thinner than coaches would like. I would say for the spring with him sideline, they only have five true inside receivers, healthy Trevor Harris and Renard Bell, who both started games in 2018 and two uh, preferred walk on backups and Brandon Arcanado and Mitchell Quinn Arcanado's a Chino Hills native plus an early enrollee and Billy Pospisil. But Calvin was expected to take ownership of the wide receiver slot, a position that, Uh, Kyle Sweet occupied for the last two seasons. Calvin, as you noted, had more receiving yards than any other inside receiver in 2018, even though he didn't start. So with him sidelined, it's created an opportunity first for Arcanado and Quinn to see more scored reps. Arcanado had three touchdown receptions during the Cougars first scored scrimmage on Saturday, April 6th. But because of Calvin's injury and the immense depth that Washington State has at outside receiver. They didn't lose any players who contributed in 2018, and that position group accounted for more receiving yards and touchdowns combined than the running backs and inside receivers. But anyway, because of the depth they had there, Leach and Spurrier, the outside receivers coach, made the decision to move 6'4", 220-pound, second-year freshman Cassidy Woods over from Z receiver into the slot on the inside. And he's been bouncing back and forth between H and Y there on the inside. Look good, running a lot of short slants. His blocking has enabled WCU to send uh, start their starters at um, X and Z, uh, Desmond Patman and Tay Martin out on uh, bubble screens and, and wheels more consistently as well, too. So it's just another wrinkle that uh, Coach Leach has had to add to his aeroid playbook in light of Calvin's injury and Woods has done well. He's done the comparison of, of Antonio Gates from a couple players in the secondary, given his height and his stature and, and what he brings to the table. He played the position in high school. So he seems pretty comfortable there, but with Calvin's injury, he's off his knee scooter and he's walking around more comfortably in his walking boot. Now by all accounts, and just from doing the eyeball test, he should be ready for fall camp, but, You hope that he returns healthy because in the best case scenario there, he's back at full strength, competes for that starting spot at Y. And then with Woods making the move, then all of a sudden WCU has the chance to go four or five deep at inside receiver and sort of balance out their passing attack between inside and outside receiver.
2: One of the, everyone talks about the Mike Leach offense, maybe a forgotten position sometimes, but these guys get involved uh, when you're talking about, uh, you know, running backs, but, you know, one of the bigger losses, I think, if you're talking about, you know, what you know, from this team from last year, James Williams. What What's the uh, running back situation looking like so far this spring?
1: Well, this spring it's been a whole lot of Max Borgie. He's bouncing around all across the field because he played special teams in 2018 as well, too. So he's still working in with uh, kickoff and punt return drills and on both coverage teams as well, but. The coaches have tried, I think, consciously to limit the amount of carries he has, at least full contact carries, given that he's the only scholarship running back that WSU has on its roster this spring, like you noted. Caleb Perry, who is a local kid out of Seattle, just made the decision to transfer shortly after the Alamo Bowl. And WSU's two class of 2019 running backs, Jameer Thomas, 6'1", 215-pound, big kid from Ohio, and then Javensley Bazile five 870 pound speedster out of florida aren't going to be in town until june for summer workouts so with bork is the only scholarship running back this spring it first and foremost prompted mike leach and his offensive position coaches to move third year sophomore Cole to bots over from linebacker to running back he's a six foot one 210 pound kid he's fast played the position in high school but there's still i think a feeling out process he goes down pretty easily when He gets hit, but behind that, it's a a lot of the the third and scout team reps have been handed to walk on fullbacks and running backs who have been with the program for a couple years or in some cases just joined the program this spring. So, yeah, Williams' early exit and Perry's transfer has left WSU extremely thin at running back, and Spurrier has already gone on record and saying that Jameer Thomas is going to have to step in right away and be the backup running back when he arrives for summer workouts in June. We'll see if that's true and if he's ready to go and indeed fulfill that role. But this spring and thinking ahead, heading into the fall, I think as far as WC's rushing attack goes and then any design passing plays where they feature the running back, it's it's gonna be Max Borgie and more Max Borgie. Um
0: switching over to the defensive side of the ball, um wh- how are things shaping up right there now? Um I know they took A little bit of a step back last year um under tracy clays as compared to the the previous year um but how is it shaping up in year two what's the did they lose a bunch of starters just kind of what's the overview of the defense right now
1: so the defense lost six starters from 2018 the i i think the defense has a chance to surprise some people though too there's more depth on the front seven than there was last year even if you have to replace three starters and Peyton Pluer at Mike linebacker who led the team with 98 tackles and 10.5 tackles for loss. And then Logan Tago uh, all conference second teamer at edge rush and then Taylor comfort at a former preferred walk on nose tackle Lamont McDougal has Arrived for the spring, he's able to fully participate in practices now that his redshirt season is up after transferring from West Virginia last year. He was a freshman All-American nose tackle when he, in his one year in Morgantown, former four-star recruit, really the first true interior defensive lineman, Mike Leach, and his defensive coaching staff have brought to Pullman in his seven-plus years in town now. So he's expected to fill the void there at nose tackle. WC still has Will Rogers, solid at defensive tackle. Fifth-year senior nominee, Oguayo, has seamlessly seemed to fill in that gap at edge rusher. He's more consistent and he's healthy, most importantly, too. His last two seasons have been cut short by injury. Then at linebacker, Jahad Woods, who had 82 tackles, was staying solid at will. There's a little bit of a, a position battle for Mike right now to replace Palluer, two fourth-year juniors, and Justice Rogers and Dylan Sherman, the new linebacker's coach, Rock Bell, and Tony, he said the two were pretty much even to this point. But I think the biggest question mark still, and and we've heard this before coming out of Pullman, is the secondary. They graduated three week one starters, cornerbacks, Darian Moulton and Sean Harper, and then Nickel, Hunter, Dale. To rectify that, Leach and his coaching staff really hit the JUCO pipeline hard. They brought in four junior college defensive backs, all of them three stars, and then an early enrollee in Gatlin Grisso as well, who projects likely as a free safety or maybe a nickel down the road there too. They're talented but and noticeably longer and quicker than some of the cornerbacks WSU has had in past season, but there's still a, a feeling out process there too. Darso McBath, the position coach, has been tinkering with them throughout the Cougars' first nine practices thus far, trying to mix and match personnel groupings and matchups with Washington State's outside receivers. But there's definitely some retooling all across the board on defense, but this is the first time, like I said, I've seen WCU effectively able to go too deep on its defensive line and, and potentially have three or four players on it in its second and third string defensive backfield that could step in and and make plays right away. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of feeling out going on right now, but we'll just have to see how it shakes out in fall camp. But there's certainly some talent in, in the room on defense, even if it's a, even if it's a younger
2: grouping. Uh, for the spring, uh, Washington State started March 25th. We'll wrap up, uh, I think, six practices, six or seven practices left April 20th with the spring game uh, being on April 20th. Uh, was it the highest-ranked recruiting class we've seen for a while? I think 11th in the Pac-12, 65th overall. And one of the notes that you know, when we were chatting before recording, you said they didn't bring in a true interior defensive lineman with the heaviest guy being two hundred and fifty pounds. So it doesn't seem like the philosophy that we've seen for the last few years for Washington State's defenses is, is going to be changing much.
1: No, there's definitely that emphasis on speed and especially with with the defensive line there. I mean cornerback as we already talked about was the most pressing need defensively that they needed to fill. So they went out and brought in four junior college defensive backs and Armani Archie, who's a six foot one, hundred and seventy five pound corner from El Cerrito High School. He'll be here in June. And then defensively, too, Deion Butler was projected to sign with WSU during the early signing period, but flipped his commitment at the last minute in favor of USC. He's a California kid. If the Trojans come in with an offer late in the process, as I explained to people, I can't I can't blame the kid for wanting to stay close to home and, and playing for his hometown team. And then another defensive line commit that WSU had as well, decommitted, earlier in in the class of 2019 recruiting cycle so wcu patched together its front seven and in, in 2018 with that emphasis on speed and actually led the pack 12 in sacks they the front seven combined to record 35 total sacks and the team had 38 for the season as well so tracy clay's modified largely what alex grange brought to the table when he arrived in pullman in 2015 and took his own twist on it with a shift in stem approach there with the front seven so in nine practices in not not much has changed schematically there i think any wrinkles that he may want to add we'll start to see in fall camp as well but yeah just given how the how the cougars recruited there in december and then in between the early signing period and, and national signing day the the team will be thin and, and size and weight on its front seven up front, but that's just how the Googers have, have played over the past four years and, and averaging nine wins a year and, and balancing out what they've been able to do on offense. It's been a formula that's proven to be successful in stretches and, and I think enabled the program to, to find its niche and recruiting defensive players.
0: Well, Braden, we also have a couple of questions and just to preface this, um, our, our readers, our listeners, I should say, um, they vacillate between asking us really inane questions and then really, really <laughs> hyper-specific, complex questions with no in-between whatsoever. This kind of goes more towards the latter. Um, so if you don't have an answer, that's completely fine. But this is from Bill V. He asked us a few weeks ago for whenever we had our Washington State guest on. Uh, I'm curious about what Washington state might do with the $21.7 million profit they're projecting from football, considering the reported as of April, 2018 $67 million deficit. They were also reported to have in the athletic department. Does it go to paying debt and funding non-revenue sports or would it be used to retain some of the assistant coaches that
1: always seem to get poached by Oregon? (laughs) Hey, that's a, that's a good question. Um, my the my sarcastic response to that is well that's a question for our athletic director Pat Sean to answer. But <laughs> on, a fl- on a less flip on a less flippant side, the WCU only just recently approved fundraising for a ten million dollar baseball clubhouse project that took more than a decade to fundraise for and get approved. And uh, the last two million dollars of that effort were financed through bonds and then uh pledges from independent donors as well. So There was a struggle to fundraise even for a modest project such as that one. The fundraising priority now for WSU is to invest in a new indoor practice facility. I'm not sure if folks in Southern California were aware of this, but during practice yesterday, that two-hour cycle, Washington State and Pullman received um, about a foot and a quarter of rain (laughs) in a two-hour span. So players are just absolutely soaked. Uh, rain was piling up on on the turf near the 50 yard line, so that's definitely going to be the fundraising priority moving forward. Now, so my my thought there is that some of some of those funds might go toward investing in a new indoor practice facility, but at the same time too, you have to remember that WC was aiming to balance its budget by the 2022-2023 fiscal year, which is projected to actually reach 80 million at the current rate that. It's progressing, so there might be there might be some of that too. We're just paying off bits and pieces of of the deficit here and there as well. And and on the basketball side of things, um, WCU just bought out Ernie Kent's the last three years of his contract and brought in Kyle Smith from University of San Francisco. So there's a lot of moving parts financially within <laughs> within Washington State's athletic department right now. But just to boil it down, I think. Any profit that the football team brings in has to be going toward first and foremost investing in a new IPF, which I think will help address the question of what WCU can do better to retain its coaches and and potentially bring in higher graded recruits. But then also anything that can be added to to balance its running deficit too is, is and knowing Pat John is definitely going to be taken into consideration as well. So that's my long winded answer there.
2: <laughs> Right. Well, thanks for that. And then we have one more that we just got from uh, Scott. It was kind of a multi-part thing, but the part about Washington State, we thought, well, why don't we uh, talk to Braden about this too? He says, who do you think will be the better defensive coordinator for Wazoo, Alex Grinch or Tracy Clays?
1: I think it starts with Grinch. I mean, and Clays has schematically been, he was outstanding from the press box. Just from my observation, just Slight tinkers and tweaks with his halftime adjustments, what he did with a front seven that lost three or four starters, um, and maybe even five if my math is correct, from twenty eighteen to all of a sudden lead the Pac-Twelve and Sacks for the first for the first time and who knows how long was 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 it was impressive just the work that he did. And he is what he is the most mellow defensive coordinator I've seen. He'll stand off at the side during practice, arms folded, just letting his position coaches work and His deportment is the same on on the sideline during scrimmage plays and then in games, just offering brief pointers here and there and and keeping the mood light. So Clay's has, I think, been great in a year-plus worth of work. And you can tell Mike Leach and Pat Shunner, Washington State's athletic director, feel the same way when they awarded him a three-year contract extension. But my answer still is for Alex Grinch with what he did to instill instill the core concepts of the speed D get WCU back on the map and recruiting uh, players in the secondary, creating inroads at linebacker as well, too. He was responsible for um, some of the positional hires that WCU first had on, on defense there as well, too. And just a lot of what Tracy Clay's, that foundation he had to build on was first brought to Pullman by Grinch in 2015 and then extended through 2017. And, as we know, Grinch has moved on to I guess what he thinks are greener past years one point four million annually at Oklahoma. Can't blame him for making a career move, getting close to home like that. But yeah, Alex Grinch was really, I think, the figure that revitalized Washington Tate, Washington State's defense and a lot of Tracy Clay's and assistant coach's success, I think, stem from the ideas and, and the recruiting ties that he that he brought to the table. So right now my vote is for Alex Grinch, but you know, you asked me in three years, my answer could very well change too, depending on what happens.
0: Well, thank you so much, Braden. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, that's, that's Braden Johnson from, uh, kookfan.com. Uh, really appreciate your time.
1: Hey, thanks again for having me so much as always let me and our team know if you guys need anything else. And I'm sure we'll talk soon.
2: Sounds good, Braden. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Good stuff from our man, Braden. Uh, I, I love hearing about Wazoo. It sounds like you know uh, they got to figure out a quarterback, but I I, I don't know. I think they're going to surprise some people again this year.
2: Yeah, that's uh, I mean, what eleven wins last year? Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh, crazy. I mean, that's it's pretty insane uh, when you think about it. It's but the the problem is it's one of those deals where everyone's just going to talk about yeah, but what about the Apple Cup? And uh, I'm curious to see if you know if Washington State can put together another good year will at least be more competitive in that game because it's just it's just been lopsided for a while
0: yeah absolutely so good stuff from Braden. yeah nothing new going on with anybody else right nothing new with either of the teams we cover
2: uh i was hearing something my wife would say i normally wouldn't pay attention to this but my wife got involved in something that uh a one of the local schools was trying to poach her. She went to Tennessee. Their basketball coach. They just that went. That doesn't to sound
0: right. Yeah, very Tennessee strange. plays basketball. They did. They, they do.
2: They uh, they had the, the one of the cooler moments of uh, the the one shining moment thing when they. So what is it called? Like one fly, we all fly, or something like that. So they all like like one guy dunks and the rest of the team jumps at the same time and started on this thing. It's been. It's, it's actually kind of cool.
0: That sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, UCLA, um, tried to hire that coach for a little bit there. <laughs> um, they tried to hire, uh, you know, several different coaches actually, um, Like not just one
2: did not go after one guy and then like, get them, look, and move if on. you can
0: put together a dream team, you know, get John Calipari as your head coach, get Jamie Dixon and Rick Barnes as like top assistants. Like w- why not? Right. Sure. Um, yeah. So the coaching search is over and, uh, and, and it ended. And that's what happened. It ended, and, it, and UCLA has a basketball coach again. It's Mick Cronin, uh, former Cincinnati head coach. Um, you know, I think he's at the very. You know, I, I talked about the look. We don't want to talk basketball in this program at all. But I wanted to provide. This was you a big all, story. This was. A big we wanted story. to provide you all some resolution after last week when we talked about it a little bit, and then UCLA uh, went and got taken for another ride um, by somebody negotiating their own contract. Um, UCLA landed on Mick Cronin. Um, he seemed, I don't know anybody out there watched the press conference. He seemed very eager to be the UCLA head coach, which given what we've seen from, um, several coaches over the last 20 years, that's actually a pretty good commodity. Um, you know, Steve Alford, not super eager to be the UCLA head coach, Jim Mora, not super eager to be the UCLA head coach. Um, somebody who's actually interested in the job is, um, pretty, I think good for the fan base um but yeah we'll see what he does he, he did pretty well at cincinnati so there's at least some track record and expectation for success. um but yeah it's over we don't we don't we don't have to we do not have to follow the ucla men's basketball coaching search anymore after spending a hundred days
2: <laughs> it's sort of, one of those things where like we're just talking about washington state if there's a guy that grows up in spokane who's like a four-star or or I'm sorry, like a, a, like a two-star player, but he works really hard and he just has always wanted to go to Washington state. It's like, you want to take some guys like that, you know? And I'm not saying that that's what uh, your, the situation is here, but it is sometimes just wanting to be there. Wanting the job uh, makes sense, you know? And, you know, we've seen with, there's a lot of LA weird stuff going on, you know, magic Johnson, uh, you know, quitting as the president of the Lakers, like, he probably wanted to be there, but did he really want to, the work, all that job? Like, probably not. Like, you want someone that's going to come in and like, hey, I'm going to put in the work. This is a job I've wanted for my whole life, and uh, it makes sense. And I'm, and he's, you, you know you're going to get maximum effort at least. Uh, we'll see if it's a good fit, but you're going to get someone that's going to be trying really hard and knows this is where he wants to be.
0: Yeah, and um, if you had a baby on New Year's Eve when UCLA fired Steve Alford, that baby would be able to <laughs> uh, lift itself off the ground and rest on its arms. Um, you know, lift its chest off the ground. Uh, it'd be able to roll over from front to side. Um, it could bear some weight on its legs when held upright. Like there's a lot that that baby could do. Like that baby is now fully out of newborn state. Oh. and that's 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 the UCLA men's basketball coaching search. A hundred days.
2: A hundred days. Seems like a lot, you know, for it's like a pretty prestigious program. Like I my funny when Jenna, my wife, Jenna was freaking out uh, that UCLA was going after Rick Barnes and, and all that. And I'm like, you do understand that UCLA is like a blue blood of blue bloods in college basketball, 11 national championships. You know, there's like, there's a lot of reason. And she's like, well, what, you know, not lately. I'm like, yeah, not lately, but still like, it's still a blue, like you still want to go there. It's like going to Kentucky or Duke or something. Uh, without the recent success, but uh, I don't know if some of the Tennessee people kind of got that right away.
0: No, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I I, I don't know. I mean, I was so like, it was such a shock that they even started talking to Rick Barnes at that point. Like we started to hear about it Saturday and then it was basically done by, I don't know, what was it? Sunday night, Monday morning. It was like, oh yeah, this isn't going to happen, but it was just so rapid fire. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't even know how I would have felt about that hire. I mean, dude is like 65, like he's, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of coaching years left, I think at this point. So it's just, anyway, it's over, it's it over, it's over.
2: Um, he could have been like a Steve Lavinish, like sweet 16s a lot, but not necessarily go further. He's kind of like that, but my, gen- no, I
0: mean, he's a real coach. Steve Lavin is a, <laughs> I mean, Steve Lavin is a gym teacher. <laughs>
2: Ouch. Ouch! Um, she said that there's so the Tennessee people, the Tennessee Twitter, like they're they're a little crazy out there. And uh, all these restaurants and stuff like stepped up and said, OK, as long as you're at or at Tennessee, if you stay, you get to eat here for life, you know, so for free. So he's he's pretty much set. So he whatever if he used UCLA to get a better deal, he definitely got more money. But he's not going to have to pay for food for a while because, like, all these restaurants apparently stepped up and said, you can come eat here for free forever if you stay.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about how nice this was. Like, UCLA was really doing some services for a lot of people (laughs) this cycle. Like, they got him a big raise. Food for Life at a variety of great Knoxville eateries. Um, They got John Calipari a lifetime contract at Kentucky. I don't know. Jamie Dixon might have gotten a raise. We don't know yet. Uh, there's uh, This was a very generous cycle for UCLA
2: Yeah, it's like yeah. Christmas You know, you're giving out contracts Lifetime contracts, it seems like a long time That's good um, I've got
0: a note for you that I discovered today okay The Pac-12 somehow does not own Pac-12.com
2: So Pac-12.com just
0: Pac-12.com Does not own it
2: Who owns that?
0: It's just parked by somebody
2: Ah, I, I, what
0: an absolute joke of a conference
2: here's the thing about this if you paid larry scott like a regular commissioner wage you know whatever the, the you save like two million bucks it wouldn't cost two million bucks to buy that damn domain name right it would be you know like well Thou-
0: I, probably thousands of dollars right. if that person knows what they're doing but i think if it's anything more than that What you would find is, I mean, they probably have a legal claim to take it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's probably some legal argument that they have the right to that name for a, you know, a reasonable fee. So just go get it. How have they not made that a priority to go get that?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's weird. It's it's like like, it's it's like like back in like
0: no, but it's like it's like 2002 again, and when you had to type in (laughs) espn.go.com to get to espn.com. I don't want to pack. I don't want to type pack dash. 12 to get to pack12.com
2: come on no and the uh, remember it was like CBS sports line like like that right, like you had a... to
0: type all this crazy stuff because <laughs> nobody understood what they were supposed to do with the internet
2: yeah ah <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> oh, crazy um let's see did we have any other I think that was the only like kind of newsy stuff um I guess we can roll into some questions and we since we just did a show on Friday we don't have a ton
0: Yeah, let's do it. Um, Where do we start? Uh, Is it Tim?
2: I think it was Scott. Like we, Scott.
0: Uh, Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, Scott. All right, I'll do Scott. You ready? Sure. Question, suggestion, and opinion. Hey, Ryan and Dave, who do you think will be the better defensive coordinator for Wazoo? Okay, we just asked that one of our friend. Um, I had a suggestion for a guest I think would be really cool USC's Jake Olson. Guy has an incredible story and is a hell of an athlete. Have you seen that guy drive a golf ball? Would be cool to hear his opinions on topics as a former player. Okay, yeah, cool. We uh, yeah, could do that, Ryan. I'm, Ryan, I know I spent some time with him.
2: Yeah, yeah, I actually played golf with him. So uh, that was one of the coolest things I've ever done to see him play golf. Like it was, you know, and he's better than me. <laughs> like, and I can see. So it's it is pretty amazing. Yeah, we love that, on. I talked to his manager. They're starting a new. Company, which is kind of like the fire, like you know, remember the fire app or whatever, where it's like a booking thing. So it's similar to that, but I think more towards athletes. So they're they're starting something like that up, and he's doing some media tours and stuff. But he's he's going to come in the studio probably sometime in May, so uh, to do like the hairstyle podcast. But yeah, if if you know, it's interesting for the Pac-12 audience. We could have him come on this show too. So I don't think it'd be a big deal.
0: Cool. All right. And then in response to a question posed during your last episode regarding the high school coach who always goes for it on fourth and always onside kicks, just my opinion. But as a Mike Leach, Wazoo fan, you don't want your team to do that. Watching Leach constantly go for it on fourth, especially in his first few years, is brutal until he finally built a defense. You would die inside a little bit every time a drive ended without points. I understand their stats suggest otherwise, but I feel like talent on the field plays a huge role in whether this is a worthwhile strategy. Thanks for the terrific podcast. Scott, I'm going to. So I think you have a slight point. I don't think it can be purely driven down to the stats. My problem is the complete rejection of stats with all of this stuff. And I would be very interested in somebody. And I don't think Leach did this by any stretch of the imagination, Um somebody being optimal at all times from a statistical perspective, because we've seen what gut feel looks like. Watch any UCLA coach's decision-making over the last 25 years. Um, That's what gut feel looks like. Uh, I'm going to go for it on fourth and like, you know, 10 from the 50 because I I feel it. And I'm not going to go for it fourth and one at the opposing teams, 34. Um, We've watched a lot of that. Why don't we see somebody who was actually making like, I don't know, intelligent decisions based on like actual provable science and facts. I don't know. Let's give it a shot. But yeah, I think it's probably, there is like probably a middle ground here. There's probably, you know, thoughts about momentum thoughts about, you know, what would be demoralizing for us in this moment? Can we risk that? You know, you're assessing, you know, the, the, the look in your guys' eyes and all that kind of stuff. I I completely buy that. That's a piece of it, but we've been treating that as if that's a hundred percent of it for so long that I just can't stand it anymore. I would like to see somebody at the major college level just do the other way, do it completely based on stats, and just see what happens. Yeah, because my feeling is that's going to be a lot more successful than the hundred percent going for your going with your gut method.
2: No, I agree with you. And it's funny, we had a, another question Jonathan wrote in about football statistics. He said not intended to be read on the air, but it kind of ties into this. So he had said he'd written to suggest an offseason podcast regarding the coach who never punts. He was the guy that wrote us originally. He said, your sage comments during the last podcast about the topic of probability and statistics reminded me of an article interview with Mike Leach that I read years ago in the New York Times. Uh, he found it and he sent it over, I actually read through it. Um, and it was a lot of what you were just saying, David. So if you want to look, it's called the Inside the Mind of Mike Leach. Uh, Jonathan sent us the link. But he, and he kind of gave examples. He, he said he likes statistics. He likes using anything that can give him an edge, but you don't want to rely on that fully. And, you know, what Dave's saying is you've totally not relied on it at all, so he's going the other way. But he gave an example when they were at Texas Tech, and it was like fourth and one from the one-yard line, and uh, they were up by five or six or something. like. No, they were up by five. So if you kick a field goal, you're up by eight. But there was 11 minutes left in the game. And he knew that his offensive line was bigger and strong. So he said, you have to take factors in. It's not always, okay, fourth and one statistically. Yes, you should go for it. But if you know your quarterbacks, like girlfriend dumped them over the weekend, or one of your offensive linemen is hurt or everybody's tired, like there's things that will factor into that. And I think in this game, he said, yes, yeah, statistically, the best thing is to go for it. We did. And we didn't get it. Our best offensive lineman. We ran the play behind. He says 99 times out of a hundred. You, you get it. He slipped on that play and you didn't get it. So, but it's like it's sort of like when you double down on sixteen in Vegas when a dealer, sh- I mean, on eleven in Vegas when a dealer's showing a six, even if you don't get your card, you still you're still leaving the opponent at the one. So there was, you know, he ended up getting interception and they got the ball back, but they got three and out and they ended up losing the game. But he said the decisions I made, I made, you know, statistically they were correct and in just the factors in the game, he felt like there was the right thing to do. So he doesn't want you to be like all stats, but I, I thought it was a pretty interesting article, but thanks, John, for sending that over. Absolutely. Um, cool. Okay, so that was Scott. Uh, next, we got Nick. Questions from Nick. He says, hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick21USC from the P. So he has three questions. One, who might take over for Oregon State's uh, as the bottom dweller for the past two years? Uh, can they trade for uh, 11th place and not 12th? LOL. Hmm. Um, Will, no. will someone take over? No. Is there any, any candidates?
0: I mean, I think you could You could argue. Well, you can argue a few different schools. You can argue UCLA, say they don't get the Chip Kelly bump whatsoever. Like, they, they don't get any kind of bump from last year, and they're just kind of the same crappy team. I don't think so. I think the end of the year is strong enough that you can probably project them getting to be better. But let's at least concede it for the sake of argument um Colorado
2: just because new coach and you yeah know.
0: maybe it takes him a minute to do the culture change thing that he probably wants to do and they were but la- they have they
2: were last in the conference a, last year right so in the in the south last year
0: but, se- but senior quarterback yeah I, I that's a tough one for me um neither of the Washington schools obviously not Oregon obviously uh not Stanford obviously not Cal I think pretty obviously at this point, um, I mean, the only thing you
2: would say good. is cause they don't score a lot of points. If that doesn't get fixed then but I, yeah, I still have a hard time picturing them finishing below Oregon state,
0: not Utah, obviously probably not USC. I, I mean, mean, they'd have to they change in the offense.
2: They changed the offense. It would be a pretty big step back, but there's, there's potential there because of the, the coaching staff hot seat, that things just kind of spiral out of control. Um, but they're, yeah, but they're
0: not going to go all the way to the cellar. It'll be like yeah. five and seven again at worst. Yeah. Um, And then ASU and Arizona. And of those two, I would say Arizona. Uh, yeah, probably Arizona. That's like a healthy so,
2: Khalil Tate. Like, oh, like how does that happen? You know?
0: I don't know. I don't know either. And like Arizona State, I just have a little bit more confidence in the just what's going on in that program, even though they're losing quite a bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm going to say it's probably between Colorado and Oregon state and I'd probably still go Oregon state.
2: Yeah, me too. Um, we'll see. He had a question about who UCLA was going to hire, but, uh, he did say, who would you want to hire realistically? Is there, was there someone that you felt like UCLA didn't go after or did they go after the right? people? Knowing
1: the
0: details of a lot of the stuff, I don't think there, I, I don't think any of the ones they pursued ended up being very realistic. Like the Dixon stuff, like His buyout was so weird and so high that it was just, it wasn't, it didn't turn out to be realistic. Um, So the question for me is really do you want to go for a Mick Cronin or do you want to try for somebody who's basically an unknown and invest a lot less money? And then you kind of can, you can then shift in three or four years if it doesn't work out Um, with Cronin. I mean, they're in it now. I mean, they're paying him $4 million a year. His buyout is not as bad as Alford's was. But, well, and it's not bad at all now. Um, It'll be, you know, if it it doesn't work out with him, then it becomes bad. But it's still $6 million after four years. So it's still like a healthy chunk of change um, because he's a real proven coach. Um, And so that comes with a price tag. So. For me, it was would I have gone with a Mick Cronin or would I have gone with somebody who's an unknown who who doesn't have 16 years of coaching experience um, and pay him a lot less and then give yourself a little bit more flexibility in three or four years time? And I kind of uh, it's it's whatever. I mean, I, I think at this stage, it's not you're not getting somebody who's a sure thing home run. Um, Cronin, I think, has a chance. And I think, you know. Utah state's head coach, Craig Smith would have had a chance. Um, there's a lot of guys who would have a chance. It's a really easy job to win a lot of games. Um, so I I think at the end of the day, they ended up with about what was probably realistic. It's not a, there just aren't a ton of guys with ties to the West, um, in college basketball these days. Um, just there's nobody obvious. Like Jamie Dixon was the, probably the most obvious one who has real connections to California real desire to come back out West, but like John Calipari, he's been an East coast guy his entire life. Um, he's at Kentucky now, but that's, I mean, if you look at a map of the United States, everything East of like Indiana is pretty close together and everything West of that is not. Um, so I, I just think it's, it, it was probably in the end, Cronin was probably the most realistic, um, the best of the most realistic hires they could have made. Um, for me, it's just a question of risk management, and that's where I get into, like, the, you know, is this worth the risk of the amount of money you're putting in for Cronin versus what you might get from, like, whatever, Randy Bennett at St. Mary's. Um, you know, he might be half the price of Mick Cronin. Yeah. Or Craig Smith at Utah State, he might be half the price of Mick Cronin. And are you going to get about the same value? Maybe. So that's that's where my thinking would be, but... In the end, I don't even have a specific name who I would want to hire realistically over Cronin. So, yeah, it's fine.
2: All right. And then last thing he said, do you guys miss me? Well, mostly Dave, because I saw Ryan at the Spring Fling BS practice USC had at Cromwell Field, LOL. (laughs) So I don't know if you missed that, Dave.
0: I do miss you, Nick. You got to get back to your recaps. You kind of tailed off at the end of last year.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This next one, Dave, I sent to uh, Adam Munster Tiger earlier today, but I didn't hear back. So... I, I just yeah. tried, let you know. Just to let you know, I tried.
0: Okay. Are we going to answer it then?
2: I don't, I don't know. Like, I guess you want to read it and.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. I'd love to read it. I love <laughs> to read this. Um, it's your I don't know if he's going for Boss, Boss, like Bosworth, maybe? Brian Bosworth? Yeah. I don't
2: know. It's BOS Hithliday. is what his uh, subject yeah. is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hippodeg. I thought your interview with Adam Munster Tiger was the best you've done in the series. Ah. Huh. You got a lot of specific information out of him that would be that it would be difficult to get elsewhere. The big challenge he highlighted for Colorado was the lack of size on the lines, and he sure is right about that. Neither of the rolling averages of scholarship linemen on offense or defense has ever topped 300 pounds in at least 15 years. Mel Tucker raised the average beef on the defensive line with the 2019 class, assuming they all gained admission. But that was almost guaranteed to happen since they only have five scholarship defensive players, five scholarship players returning from last year. And the offensive line recruiting was identical to previous years in terms of size. Just looking at the measurables, the Colorado's, the Colorado's reads like a Mountain West roster. And in fact, at least two Mountain Division teams have bigger lines. Why do you boys suppose Colorado has such a difficult time recruiting big linemen? Geographically, they seem like they should be able to recruit both California and Texas. Adam has said on previous podcasts that they've upgraded to first class facilities. They've got a national championship championship history and lots of proud tradition and it's possibly the most beautiful campus in the country is there something qualitatively different about recruiting the line as opposed to skill players which the buffs have historically done fairly well at that colorado is structurally or just accidentally incapable of doing
2: yeah i don't know um i don't they definitely don't recruit uh polynesian players as heavily as like the as utah and maybe some of the other schools uh i mean i don't know if that has anything to do with it but do you have any thoughts on this dave like what What's going that's
0: on? one. Um, I would say that. I don't know that they also do JCs as heavily as some other teams. I know they do some, but I don't think they do it anywhere near as heavily as like an ASU or a Utah, for example. Um, so that probably plays a little bit because you're also looking. I mean, I think these are. Are we basing this off of their weight when recruited? I think that must be what this is, right?
2: I think so. I think that's what he was doing. But he talked about rolling so, averages, too. I'm like, man, are there's are there like formulas for weights on rosters and stuff. But Day's, if there is one, Hitler Day will find it.
0: Yeah, there. I mean, I, I think he's basing it off of recruiting rankings. And I would I mean, I think a lot of your size, your eventual size is going to be based on your strength and conditioning program yes. versus what you actually are doing on. um in, in terms of recruiting, because a lot of guys are not their finished size um, when they're being recruited, either they're way too big. Like if you're carrying if you're carrying like I would say even like anything really over 300 pounds as a high school player, most of the weight over that 300 pounds, honestly, most of the weight over that two ninety pounds is probably bad weight. Like you're having to reshape your body unless you're one of those super freaks. Um, and if you're under like 260, I mean, and but you've got like some length and you've got some height you're probably going to end up 300. Um, So it's not, it depends on the strength and conditioning program. I would, maybe it was the case that Mike McIntyre and before him, uh, John Embry were prioritizing uh, the more athletic types of linemen um, on either side of the ball, both sides of the ball. It's hard to know without knowing the exact internal dynamics of Colorado, which is why Adam's probably the best one to answer this. Um, But there could be a lot of different reasons. And I would be, I would be reluctant to base it just entirely off of um, recruiting rankings. Like if you have it, do you have this information for, say, like every other team in the Pac-12? Because I'd be interested to see what the deviation is. Um, if this is significantly different from other Pac-12 schools, because I mean, if you're comparing it to like SEC schools, yeah, I mean, most of these guys are going to be smaller just because the the types of athlete you get in the South are just different. Um, but comparing to the rest of Pac-12, I'd be interested to see how different it is.
2: I, are you a skier, Dave? Do you do that or snowboard or anything?
0: I've been skiing, uh, once in my life. Um, and I, uh, repeatedly did what's called a yard sale where I, I <laughs> fall so hard that I, everything flies off like the gloves, <laughs> the, the, like the helmet, the goggles, everything just flies off.
2: That's awesome. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've, been once in my life as well. I'm, I'm pretty good with sports, but not like the balance sports. Like put your te- you know, attach your feet to something. I would probably try it again, but, uh, but you know, if you go up there, you go up to the slopes, do you see a lot of 300 pounders like skiing? Like everybody in Colorado skis, right? So maybe there's just not this, as many this is a great point. big guys. This is a know? great
0: point. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Um, see? So HiFA Day, the yeah. real issue is, um, <laughs> they need these guys to be able to ski, And if you're going to ski, you need to have, you know, you need to have a pretty lithe body.
2: Yeah. Like Jeremy Bloom, what was he? 145 pounds or something? Like, come on. Yeah.
0: Really, they should be recruiting even lighter linemen. Right. To be honest.
2: Just so you, you know, you don't want to be uh, snow plowing all the way down the field. Um, Okay. Let's go. We got one from Anthony. He says, hi, Ryan and Dave. Uh, Will the ending of the one and done rule help or hurt college basketball?
0: I, I i can't imagine it'll hurt it at this point because college basketball is uh nearly dead um, <laughs> and this at least contributed to it nearly dying so i would imagine it ending it would help
2: yeah i would think so um but that's certainly not my area of expertise uh okay so this is weird so he puts that question and then after that says random questions like Is that random? I I would think that one would fall. College
0: basketball is very off-topic for this podcast, Anthony. (laughs) Recent conversation notwithstanding.
2: Yes. Uh, But it's okay. Random questions. Would you rather have unlimited hamburgers, unlimited sushi, or unlimited tacos for life?
0: So there's a lot of considerations here, right? It's your food preference, but also, um, like, what would be most, most healthy? Like, what would... Like, if you had... Like, what's the... 'Cause my initial instinct is you probably can't do sushi unless it's like very, very low in mercury because you're going to die.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Wait, okay. So well, that's the question. Is it unlimited as your preference or is that the only thing you can eat?
2: I'm thinking like as your preference. I don't think I don't think he wasn't really specifically saying Oh,
0: then I'm 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 taking sushi. Yeah,
2: sushi, well, first of all, it's the most expensive, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's a value play. And there's a very there's a huge variety. Um, of sushi. And like, even like if you're at the sushi restaurant and if you really were tired of the mercury you could get like a, you know, uh, teriyaki chicken or something, but, uh, or just, you know, California rolls, whatever. But yeah, I think I would go with sushi. Now I love hamburgers. I love tacos, but like, I think your choices there, if you, if I wanted to eat it all the time, there's only so many things you can put on a burger. Like with sushi, I think it's pretty, you know, th- every sushi restaurant has all kinds of different rolls and things you could try. Right right so i think i would go with sushi i mean value value it's there i like i mean i love all those things but i probably love sushi the most uh if you could learn any language fluently what would it be
0: i know your answer just right off the bat spanish right
2: (laughs) very good david (laughs) that would be a good one to learn (laughs) <laughs> See, I went to engineering school, so I don't get the... the no, didn't you have, didn't. We didn't have words. Like, what are you talking about, no, words? No words. <laughs>
0: um, well, that's actually a good point. Would it be like, would you want to get clever with this and go with a computing language?
2: Oh. Um, no, I mean, for me, it's 100% Spanish. Like, when I was in high school, I took French, which was dumb. Like, just take Spanish. But I, I've, And I've just never picked up languages easily. But whenever I go, like, I've traveled around Europe, and I hate it. Like, I hate being the tourist that doesn't know the, the language. But I think Spanish. Just I like going to Mexico. Um, I always wished I could have, I could speak Spanish, and I guess I could buy like Rosetta Stone or something. But that—that's the one I would pick.
0: I'd probably go with um, like Mandarin. Really? Yeah. You know, we should probably know what the overlords are going to be speaking in a hundred years. <laughs>
2: true that that's a hard one too I guess if you want to do like Spanish I don't think it's as hard to learn as something like
0: well and I've got like enough I've got enough Spanish that I can suss out kind of like even other romantic languages like if I have to sit there for a second I can like at least kind of usually figure out what they mean so I've kind of already got Spanish okay so it'd be good to branch out a little bit. So I'd probably go Mandarin.
2: It's like when you travel and like just how hard is it to say like you learn a few words or whatever, you know, like I would say like being in Japan like some of the Japanese stuff was pretty hard. And then uh, in Russia, that was that was like you got Spasiba, all these different things. It was hard to remember like just like the basic things and it complicated. And and when you look at the trying to read, you know, if you go try to read Spanish, like it you're at least using like characters that you recognize, you know, where it's not like kanji or, uh, the Cyrillic language when you're in, in, you know, uh, in Russia or something where like, Oh, what is that? <laughs> what letter is that? So I think if you want to like, it's full, it's free. You just to get to learn one, I might, yeah, you know, I might switch it to pick one of those harder ones.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Okay. Th- those were random, I guess. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah.
0: Those were good. Those were good and random. Um, this one's really long.
2: Oh, crap. Oh, this is good. Do we, we don't we can't read that can we
0: this might be too long nick this this might have so this is from so it looks really good um it's a point spread follow-up that we were asking so it's our it's our friend nick um who does uh cfb winning edge um and he has given us kind of some insight into his process might we ask Nick if it's okay for us to publish like some of this just on one of our blogs so that yeah. people can read it? Um, cause that might be the best way to approach this. Cause it's a lot of, it's a lot of kind of numbers and, and
2: what There's he's adjusting seven for. attachments and a Google sheet link and a lot, yeah. a lot of those words that, you know, I struggle yeah, with. So
0: Nick, <laughs> Nick, let us know. Um, or I'll actually fire you an email back right now. Um,
2: yeah, we could put it up on the blog and let people check it out. Just on packfulpodcast I think I think that would be a perfect place uh, for it.
0: Yeah. All right. So I've responded to him, um, and that would be better than reading this. I think people's eyes would glaze over. All Thanks, right. Nick.
2: I think we only have one left, Dave from Bernie.
0: All right. You want me to do it?
2: Yeah, it's your turn. All right. Your <laughs> <laughs> <Jerk>. questions <laughs>
0: uh, for Ryan uh, listening to your podcast with Dan Weber and Keeley. She doesn't get a last
1: name.
2: Keely, you are. She's actually sitting right next to me right now. She just came in studio because we have. a Hey, she gets her
0: last name. That's cool. We could Uh, we could actually
2: put her on the microphone if if this is something you know we need to.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, And (laughs) Keely, let's 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 read ahead and see. All right. Listening to your podcast with Dan Weber and Keely on the Spring Showcase, Spring Showcase, and then the podcast with Pedro's. What's going on, Bernie? Uh, Petros, I believe. Petros Papadakis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he went Pedro's. Uh, The tenor was so different. Dan thinks SC has made significant improvement, where Pedros said he doesn't believe the program is in an, up, is in an upper projection. Okay, so I don't, okay. So, Petros is negative about the program right, right now. Dan's positive. Bernie's okay. had a couple What's, of
2: beers when he wrote it. Like
0: <laughs> What's new, though? Dan Dan's positive. Pedros is, is negative. That sounds about right. He even said he has no interest in watching them said he preferred to watch UCLA practice. In your opinion, who
2: is more accurate? Um, no, I think they can both be accurate. So if you go back and listen to the show, it's like Petros hasn't been to a spring football practice. He's uh, very critical, like we all are, and Dan Weber is too, of the administration, uh, the hiring practices of guys like Lin Swan and Pat Hayden, uh, retaining Clay Helton. I think Dan Weber agrees on all of those points, but Petros was mostly talking about that in the general state of the program where uh, Keeley and Dan and myself have all been more optimistic after watching spring practices going. They were 90th in scoring last year with one of the better offensive rosters in the country, like some of the the players they have. That just didn't make sense. They were like 100th in red zone scoring. It was really awful. And all you needed to do was bring in someone that had a competent offense and you take those same players and it should get vastly better. So I think I, I, I don't think Clayton's fixed a lot of the issues. I think Dan Weber is more optimistic uh, than I am. I'm still kind of like, yeah, they'll score more points, but are they still going to be like six and six because the defense will get worse or something like that? You know, you still feel like something can be screwed up here. Um, But I, I, all of all three of us have been a lot more optimistic after watching practice. So I don't think anyone's right or wrong. But Petros isn't out there. He wasn't commenting on like what they're doing right now. It's just more of a general state of the program, which I think we all you know agreed with you know his assessment. Okay, if that makes sense. All
0: right. That makes sense. And then he asks a question for another question for you. Also, it seems Helton is hiding and not out front as a head coach should be. Does he think his exposure hurts the program? That's
2: a very interesting point because he used to speak after every practice and they limited him uh, to only speaking once a week on Saturdays. I think there was a couple exceptions, but it was basically. We would get uh, injury updates, things like that. He would talk. And that's something he was good at. And I feel like there was some sort of conscious decision by either him or the administration, whatever, that they weren't going to trot him out there as much anymore. And it is weird because he was always good about answering questions. I feel like he you know, spoke to the media well. It was something he did that he felt comfortable doing to remove more of that. Seems a little counterproductive. But there was also an element where he was so unpopular last year that, like, they couldn't do the, like, uh, I think it was a pregame interview. They would have him, uh, you know, someone with a microphone would interview him and it would go up on the Jumbotron, if they still call him those, whatever they call them, the big screens now. Um, and people would, like, be booing, you know. So they, they had to stop doing things like that. If they put up a video of, you know, Clay Hull could tweet something out, like something positive, and there'd be all these responses like, step down, you should be fired, blah, blah blah, blah blah. So maybe uh, there is Bernie some they're trying to limit some of his exposure, but it is it is strange because he did he usually did that stuff pretty well, the the post practice uh, media engagements.
0: Yeah. do you think maybe, maybe it's um he just professed his love for one too many players, <laughs> like in like a kind of a weird way in too, too many public statements?
2: That, that's a possibility um I you know he did there were some cliche problems too um he would say some of the you know, like you said you know he's the love of my life uh what was the jaw? It's Keely, what was the jaw one um he would say he set. Ja- yeah set your jaw uh there was there was things in uh, oh, Situational mastery was something that USC fans would cringe when he would say that or physical beats there was he he said some things like kind of over and over again that would upset fans but I thought for the most part he did did a pretty good job but could be Dave the love of your life thing was uh was, they're trying to limit that
1: yeah
0: I can I can understand that um for Dave does Kelly feel the same way as you do in regards to team depth I mean he ran off over 30 players that could have shored that area up I have no idea. I mean, he, he's <laughs> he's kind of disingenuous whenever he talks about it. And like any kind of post-practice thing, he's like, "Well, you never have a bunch of guys in spring." As if like people are asking about the spring. Nobody cares what you're doing in spring, man. It's are are, are you gonna have enough players to like field the three deep or or like a two deep in in fall? Like, is that gonna be the case? I mean, they ha- they're gonna have seventy guys on scholarship. That's not great. That's where USC was. What peak sanctions, right? Yeah,
2: I think that's about as bad as it got. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, obviously USC was hurt by that to an extent. Um, they had a bunch of talent, but still not having enough guys to do like physical competitive practices was a real issue for them. Um, UCLA, I, I don't know that they've adjusted their practices, so that's good. Um, but unless the walk on program is as robust as like 1980s, Nebraska, Um, they've they've got some issues and they need to really, really work hard to fix that. And um, um, when you run off 30, there's nothing wrong with when you come into a program deciding that you want to run off some guys or change some culture. And that's going to entail some guys leaving and that whole deal. The the issue is if you don't do anything to mitigate that, if you don't do anything to make up for it, if you say, for example, in your second full recruiting class, only sign 20 guys, when you've run off 30, um, that's, that's not good math. Um, so yeah, I don't know if he feels the same way. I just know what my eyes tell me, which is they're going to be 15 under the limit. And yeah, I I think his point about flexibility is a good one. And he mentioned it, um, a couple of days ago, which is being a few under the limit is great because then you can take a grad transfer in July if you want to, or whatever, uh, being 15 under (laughs) is not something you want. That's not flexibility. That's, that's, that's not, you know, cutting off the fat a little bit. That's 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 driving deep into the bone. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, you know, one thing I wrote down I forgot to mention, Dave. I don't know if you saw this, and I think uh, Dan Weber brought it up on our he brought up the he brought it up somewhere. Uh, but there were, over the weekend the Pac-12 Network, there was I believe the number 1 and number 2 teams in the country in baseball, like Arizona State and Stanford were playing, but the Pac-12 Network showed like Washington State. <coughs> cal- cal- <clears throat>
0: Or, UCLA and
2: Stanford. I'm sorry, UCLA and Stanford, number one teams. Uh, I really do not follow college baseball, but was that a real thing? So if UCLA is involved, you probably know about this. Was that a thing, and how stupid is that?
0: I don't watch college baseball. I have okay. no idea.
2: Um, well, write in and let us know. But, yeah, there was, like, a thing. And I think it might have been John Wilner or Kanzano or something, like, tweeted something out, or maybe it was in the, the Hotline newsletter, um, where it was just, like, a, a, a head-scratching thing for the Pac-12 network. Like, why why would you not show if you have like two of the top teams in the nation, why would you show it was like the seventh and ninth place teams in the pac 12 instead of those two teams? Um, I, I don't care if it's a rotation, whatever, like show what's good. Like if you actually want some people to watch and you have the top two teams in the country, show that.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: Um, all right. Well, we got some baseball in, sorry. I'm sure that
0: that was beautiful.
2: Upset David. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's our show. Um, Thanks. Was
0: that even an hour?
2: Uh we are at where are we at? Yeah, it's a little over an hour. Hey, look that's, at us. That's as short as we've gone in months probably. So
0: that's as short as we've gone in years, I think.
2: Maybe. Yeah. Well you know, we did a show Friday and then one today. So we, we have one left. Uh yeah. so what was this was Let's
0: it? try to knock let's not let's get back on a Monday. Let's try to do it next Monday.
2: Okay. Let's try to do that. We'll get Angie, see if Angie's available. And uh yeah, we'll move forward with that and uh then we'll be done then we got to figure out what to talk about after that
0: doesn't the nfl draft come up soon now
2: yeah we got the nfl draft we could get like a draft expert or something um talk about something no, we'll the talk p-
0: about the pacto players in the draft would be great
2: <sighs> yeah we could do that like it's, it's funny daniel jeremiah would be like a go-to but now i think he's like the number one dude on the nfl network because um they hired away you know uh yeah Yeah, for for the Raiders, right? They hired as a GM. Why am I blanking on his name? You know what I'm talking about?
0: Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock, yeah.
2: So I think DJ is now like the number one dude. So he was always really busy. We'll try, but we can get somebody else if if we can't get him. Cool. Sweet. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Thanks, David. It was fun.
0: It was great, Ryan. I laughed. I cried. Wonderful.
2: It was awesome. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of champions and we'll be talking to you next time.